Welcome to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series from Partners Connected Health. I'm your host, Joe Kavidar. Join me for interesting and thought-provoking conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are redefining the future of technology-enabled health and wellness. This week, we have a unique and exciting opportunity as we focus on the Connected Health Conference here in Boston. Partners Connected Health is honored to be the organizing partner for this world-class event, and I am proud to serve as program chair. We're thrilled to share a mini-series of podcast episodes featuring luminaries from our program. Well, it's a tremendous honor for me to welcome Ajit Pai, Chairman of the Federal Communications Commission, to our podcast and to have him this year as a keynoter at the Connected Health Conference. So we get a real twofer this week with Chairman Pai. Chairman Pai is a champion of rural broadband and telehealth and has been focused on policies to bridge the digital divide, promote innovation, protect consumers and public safety, and increase transparency at the FCC. For example, the FCC's rural healthcare program is designed to help meet the growing demand for telehealth services in the US. He is also exploring a new $100 million connected care pilot program to support telehealth services for low-income American families and veterans. The FCC is also working with the National Cancer Institute to study how increased connectivity in Appalachia can help address the burden of symptoms management for cancer patients. The agency's groundbreaking Mapping Broadband Health in America platform enables data-driven decision-making at the intersection of broadband and health a critical step in bridging the digital divide in health. One topic that has garnered much debate is the FCC's move to repeal net neutrality regulations, policy intended to protect an open internet while paving the way for better, faster, and cheaper access for consumers. Designated FCC chairman by Donald Trump in January 2017, Chairman Pai had previously served as a commissioner at the FCC and was appointed at that time by President Barack Obama and unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate in May 2012. Before his appointment to the FCC, he held positions with the Department of Justice, the U.S. Senate, the FCC's Office of General Counsel, and also in the private sector. Chairman Pai graduated with honors from Harvard College in 1994 and from the University of Chicago Law School in 1997, where he was an editor uh, of the University of Chicago Law Review and won the Thomas B. Mulroy Prize. In 2010, Chairman Pai was one of 55 individuals nationwide chosen for the 2011 Marshall Memorial Fellowship, a leadership development initiative of the German Marshall Fund of the U.S. Chairman Pai, thank you for being with us and making time to be with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me on and for what you do. So you've spoken quite a bit about growing up in a small town of Parsons, Kansas, where your parents, both Indian-born doctors, practiced at a local county hospital and how that upbringing helped shape much of your thinking today. Earlier this year in a Boston Globe piece, uh, which we we root for anything that comes out in the Globe, (laughs) uh, you and the former chairman... Newton Minow outlined how telemedicine, particularly in rural America, can significantly contribute 
to making our citizens healthier. You also have urged our society to embrace connected care so we may fully realize its potential. Under your leadership, the FCC is leading the charge to close the digital divide. You have a plan to fix broadband access and promote mobile broadband in underserved areas, and your rural health program helps healthcare providers afford connectivity. The FCC's Connect to Health Task Force is collaborating with the National Cancer Institute to study how broadband can improve cancer care for patients in struggling parts of Appalachia. I know these two topics you are going to address in your keynote this week at the Connect Health Conference in Boston, but in case our listeners won't be there, uh, can you please give us a preview of what you'll be presenting at the conference? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, and thanks again for having me on. This is a topic that is not just a professional interest for me, but it's a personal one. As you pointed out, I grew up in rural Kansas, uh, the child of rural doctors. And I remember my father, who was a urologist, uh, who was the only urologist in a pretty wide swath of southeast Kansas where I grew up, a small town called Parsons, about three hours south of Kansas City, near the Oklahoma and Missouri borders. And when I was a young child, I remember my father waking up early, sometimes before dawn, to make long drives. One day it might be 45 minutes west, the next day it might be 45 minutes north, to visit some of these small towns where patients otherwise might never see a specialist. And I remember thinking about the amount of time he spent on the road and also of those small towns that weren't so fortunate to have a doctor who was willing to travel those distances. And that planted a bug uh, in my mind a long, long time ago. And you know, much to my parents' chagrin, I did not become a doctor myself. I think they still might hold out a little bit of hope that I'm going to medical school. But in the meantime, uh, the uh, best I can do here at the FCC is try to focus on what connectivity can do to help address those gaps in parts of the country where you just can't uh, find medical care. And that's one of the reasons why I've been very pleased uh, to work with some of uh, the folks who are really interested in this space, particularly Chairman Newt Minow. Uh, for those of your listeners who don't know, he was President Kennedy's FCC chairman from 1961 to 63. And Chairman Minow and I had lunch about an, a year ago, and uh, we were discussing some of the applications of connectivity. And I told him, you know, I've been on connected farms that are able to increase productivity. I've been in connected schools where teachers are using the technology to improve learning. But I've got to say, Mr. Chairman, connected health is something that could really transform American society. And he immediately sat up in his chair and said, I absolutely agree. And he'd been studying this issue, too. And when you think about some of the suboptimal healthcare outcomes we have in today's system, many of those we think could be addressed and many lives could be saved or at least improved when you have broadband connectivity. And that's why he and I collaborated on that Boston Globe op-ed. And that just motivated me even more to come back here to the FCC and to try to roll out a number of different initiatives to uh, promote telemedicine and telehealth. One of them, as you pointed out, is just increasing rural broadband connectivity altogether. I've been to many parts of this country, from Port Yukon, Alaska, uh, to the Delta of Mississippi, where you simply can't get high-speed internet access and we have a number of different plans for closing that, from federal subsidies to modernizing our rules. Uh, we've also boosted our rural health care program. Uh, some of your listeners may know that the FCC has a program that provides uh, subsidies to health care facilities to offset the cost of Internet connectivity. And under my leadership, for the first time in 22 years, we increased the budget for that program by 43%. It's currently $571 million. In addition to that, 
We're trying to think outside of the box to try to get the FCC involved in initiatives that might even boost further telemedicine's promise. For example, we started under my leadership a telehealth initiative that uh, allocates about $100 million, as you pointed out, uh, to look at ways to promote healthcare outside of the context of a hospital. So, for example, if wireless sensors were to accompany a patient as the patient goes home post-op, uh, could those wireless sensors monitor a patient to, to make sure that vital signs are stable? And if they're not, we can intervene earlier. And that's something that had its genesis in one of the visits I did earlier this year. Additionally, we've launched an initiative called Launch, which is uh, linking and amplifying user-centered networks through connected health. And the heart of this is a memorandum of understanding with the National Cancer Institute, along with others in government and academia and healthcare industry and community organizations. And we're trying to figure out ways in which uh, internet access and adoption in rural areas can help address the burden of uh, symptom management for cancer patients. And uh, as, as you can tell, I don't want to filibuster, but there's so many things that we're doing because we recognize that, as you pointed out, in a new mobile age, there's a unique opportunity here, I think, to marry the benefits of connectivity with the entrepreneurial spirit that so many have to broaden and augment the power of connected health. And I'm really optimistic about what this means for uh, Americans' health going forward. Well, it's, it's wonderful to hear. Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I know there are other uh, issues at the, at the FCC, but it sounds like uh, you, you've been spending a lot of time on health. And again, our, our, not only are we grateful as, uh, as telehealth advocates, but uh, those, all those rural patients that will benefit from this are, are going to be grateful as well. And uh, I can't emphasize enough the excitement of seeing better patient care and having uh, communications uh, uh, tools be an important part of that. I, one just very quick anecdote of, from my own life is we, we have a, uh, our family has a, a home on a lake in the western part of the state here. And for many, many years, we could get no internet access. We used to bring a MiFi device, which was very suboptimal. Uh, just thinking about how, and, and I actually have friends in New Hampshire who do telehealth programs there and would say things like, well, we're going to monitor all of our congestive heart failure patients in the home. And they're like, no, we can't do that because some of them don't have any communications, uh, internet access. So right. just incredibly important what you're doing and, and our hat goes off to you. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about 5G. Uh, I'm, I'm not a geek. I'm not a engineer, but I do... Uh, love wireless. And uh, I have to tell you, between you and me, I think LTE never really lived up to its potential, in my opinion, partly because of the way the carriers handled it, partly because of the, uh, I think, the actual size of the pipe itself and how it would get clogged from time to time. So I'm really looking forward to 5G. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, enabling the Internet of Things, improving data speed, uh, processing power, uh, but there seem to be some barriers to overcome and support from many parties needed, including agreement on technical standards, uh, FDA input on the effectiveness of medical devices and health reimbursement. So I know not all, none of those are in your uh, uh, bailiwick, but still important. Uh, just a few weeks ago, you announced that the FCC plans to consider freeing up more radio airwaves for use in 5G and Wi-Fi networks as well as rolling back some regulations on rural carriers. So I know that improving coverage across the country has been a major priority for you and the agency. 
uh, an issue that most support. Can you share with us uh, your plan to promote 5G technology uh, through what you've called the 5G Fast Plan? Uh, and especially, how uh, can we expect this to impact healthcare? Absolutely. Our strategy is called the 5G Fast Plan, which we, by which we mean a plan to facilitate America's superiority in 5G technology. And I think most wireless consumers are familiar with 4G. But as you pointed out, there are some limitations. In many parts of the country, you can't get 4G. In parts of the country where you can get it, as you mentioned, uh, some of the applications you might want to use it for are limited. And that's why we are embracing the promise of 5G. I've been to some labs that are developing 5G technology, and it's incredible to see gigabit speeds over a wireless connection. I mean, 100 to 1,000 times faster than 4G. Additionally, it could be much more reliable because you would, using a, you would be using a whole uh, bunch of different spectrum bands instead of some of the bands that are traditionally used for 4G. And the other exciting thing about it is that it doesn't necessarily rely solely on cellular devices. These days, for example, one of the first things people do when they check into a hotel, when they get to work, when they're at a coffee shop, is to look for a Wi-Fi network. And so uh, 5G encompasses both licensed for the cellular carriers and unlicensed for the next generation of Wi-Fi types of technologies. Now, as for what we're doing, there are three basic parts to our plan. Uh, one is getting a lot more spectrum out there for the commercial marketplace. Number two is making sure that we promote much more wireless infrastructure. And number three is modernize our, our regulations to embrace the networks of the future. And I'll try to be brief on each of those, but with respect to spectrum, we're obviously familiar with the airwaves that are used for wireless communications. One of the great things about the 21st century is that really talented engineers and technologists have broadened the number of airwaves and the types of airwaves that can be used for wireless communications. For example, when I got into this field about 20 years ago, it was thought that spectrum below what is called three gigahertz was pretty much all that was useful. But now we're talking about spectrum above 95 gigahertz that could be used for 5G applications. And so one of the FCC's jobs as the steward of the commercial uh, spectrum is to get as much out there as possible for engineers and entrepreneurs and innovators uh, to experiment with. And that's what we're doing. Over the next year and a half or so, we are going to push about five gigahertz of spectrum into the marketplace. And to give you a sense of how much that is, that is more spectrum than is currently held by all mobile broadband providers in the United States combined for 4G or any other kind of wireless application. And our theory is sort of like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. If you put a lot of spectrum out there, entrepreneurs will use it to develop 5G technologies. That's just the airways part of the equation. Of course, that traffic has to travel over networks at some point, and that's where the second part of our plan comes in, wireless infrastructure. A lot of people are familiar with these tall 200, if not taller, uh, towers that intermittently dot the landscape. That's what's typically used for 4G, but 5G will look very different, in part because of the characteristics of the spectrum that is being used. We'll see a lot more small cells, equipment that is in some cases no larger than a backpack or a pizza box, will be much more inconspicuous. They could be attached to a telephone pole or to the side of a building without being noticed. And they'll be much more densely packed in and they'll operate at much lower power. And so what's called a densified network. And one of the problems is that our regulations still contemplate that wireless infrastructure means these large cell towers. And so we're trying to update our rules to recognize that these small cells of the future will need to be more densely packed and deployed at scale. 
And so, for example, we're exempting these small cells from some of the more onerous environmental and historic preservation and other types of reviews that typically would attend a big cell tower that dominates a landscape. Uh, the third part of our plan is modernizing our regulations. Uh, these wireless networks will actually require a lot more wired infrastructure, the fiber optic lines that lie on the ground and on uh, utility poles. And that fiber optic infrastructure especially has to be deployed in lower income urban areas and in rural areas where the business case is typically pretty hard to build these networks. And so one of the things we've been doing, for example, is making it easier for companies to gain access to those utility poles uh, to get permissions and approvals from uh, state and local governments and from electric utilities that typically own those poles. And we're also encouraging companies to focus their investments on next generation fiber and some of the fading copper lines that are in the past. Uh, fiber lines are, of course, much more resilient, much higher capacity, and ultimately are a much better return on investment for consumers who are encouraging them uh, to uh, focus on those next generation technologies. And so in a nutshell, our hope is that these 5G, this 5G fast plan will encourage innovators and investors to see the United States as a testbed for 5G innovation. And the reason why I frame it that way is because other countries saw the success that America had in 4G, and they want to claim 5G for themselves. And China and South Korea and parts of Europe in particular are really gunning to be the lead because they recognize that it's not just the networks themselves, but the innovation that comes with those networks that could ultimately be a big benefit to their countries. And so uh, we're in, a, some say we're in a race to 5G. We want the United States to be uh, the haven for investment and innovation because ultimately our consumers will be better off if we see a regulatory framework here that prioritizes the future instead of being focused on the past. And so as, in terms of its application to healthcare, boy, we are really bullish on what this means. So you mentioned it, the connected devices that we're going to see all over the landscape, these wireless sensors are going to be tremendous for patient care. Yeah, I visited Stanton, Virginia last year, for example, and one of the things I was struck by is that they were experimenting with sending patients home with some of these sensors that would monitor in real time some of their vital signs. And they had reduced the incidence of sepsis by 38%, in part because they were able to intervene earlier once they got a sense that patients might be heading south. And just multiple, that's just one facility, one experiment in one state. Imagine what that would mean across the country with all of these sensors being able to make sure that patients were okay. That's a tremendous result and something we want to see patients everywhere benefit from. And that's a possibility with something like 5G. Yeah, very, very exciting. Well, I, I can't get it fast enough, and I think most people feel that they way. I'm, I'm usually the person at the meeting who says uh, technology is, is uh, support uh, in support of a business and that uh, you don't just throw technology out there. But I think with bandwidth, we just can't get enough, so we're really looking forward to it. Uh, so you've publicly stated your enthusiasm for telemedicine, and in fact... You've been traveling around the country, visiting dozens of telehealth clinics, uh, from a VA medical center in Providence, Rhode Island, to a family health care clinic in Oregon. And we'd really be interested to hear your perspective and your thoughts, what you've learned, what you've observed. Uh, in particular, if you would share the FCC's vision for telehealth and how the agency can help facilitate its adoption uh, from those visits. That's a great question. And to me, these are the stories that motivate me. These are the people who inspire me to come to work every day here at the FCC and try to promote telehealth as best we can. 
I still remember meeting Gordon, who was a veteran at the Lacanto, Florida VA clinic, which was a community-based outpatient clinic. And to hear him and his daughter talk about what it meant in this part of rural Florida to get connected healthcare so that he could talk with a specialist at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center over a thousand miles away was just incredible. Uh, I was at the Salt Lake VA facility just a month ago, and I spoke with a veteran who had been dealing with some PTSD issues. And to hear him talk about how having a connected uh, telehealth uh, visit with some of the specialists at the Salt Lake VA had helped him not just reduce his medication, but lose 80 pounds, feel better about his life, and improve his family's overall situation was just tremendous. And one of the stories that always sticks with me, though, is Scottsville, Kentucky. And this is a story that uh, Chairman Minow and I shared in our Boston Globe op-ed. I was visiting a uh, Allen County, Kentucky, which is a lower-income part of southern Kentucky. And in particular, there's a town called Scottsville. I went to the Scottsville uh, schools there, and I was struck by the fact that in all of Allen County, there's not a single pediatrician. And as a parent especially, that made me wonder, my God, what would happen if my child got sick in an Allen County school? What would you do? You would have the child visit the school nurse, but there's only so much you'd be able to do. A parent would have to take time off work, come pick up the child at the school, drive about you know, perhaps 40, 50 miles west to Bowling Green if there was an opening. Just think about all that disruption for the student, for the parent, for the teacher. But now, because of a broadband connection, every child in an Allen County school can have a telehealth visit with a specialist down south at Vanderbilt University's Children's Hospital, a top-notch facility. And it's hard to put into words or even to capture uh, in a picture but to look on the face of the superintendent of those schools, to hear from parents about what it meant so, so that kids in Allen County schools could now finally focus on learning and teachers could focus on teaching and parents could have a remote visit so they could monitor uh, their child's telehealth visit remotely when they have to take time off work. And it was just absolutely tremendous. And so I, that, that was one of the things that just illustrated to me how important this is. As you pointed out, the SEC deals with so many important issues, but to me, I think one of the things that we can all rally around is the need for everyone to know that they and their families will be safe and healthy. And it just illustrates the need to close that digital divide. Right now, only about 2% of urban Americans lack access to fixed terrestrial broadband or high-speed internet at our speed of 25 megabits per second. But for rural residents, that's 30%. And that's millions of people who are on the wrong side of that divide who don't have the benefit that folks in Allen County have. And so that's why our top priority has been closing that divide, focusing more subsidies on connecting rural residents, making sure that technologies benefit those in rural areas, and in particular, boosting telehealth as a reason for people to rally around these initiatives. And our hope is that in the future, we can have more places like Scottsville, Kentucky, where the parents can <laughs> clock into work knowing, okay, at the very least, at the end of the day, I know my child is going to be safe and healthy. And it's hard to quantify that. Uh, it won't show up in many statistics, but I know that it's going to be a tremendous benefit in the time to come. And in addition to that, I should mention that uh, you pointed out a few other regulatory barriers that we're working on. They're not necessarily within our bailiwick, but nonetheless, I think it's important for folks in a position like mine to be advocating for them. I've talked to a lot of telemedicine practitioners from you know, Moab, the regional facility in Utah, uh, to Providence, Rhode Island, the VA facility, and one of the barriers that they identify that is critical is uh, limiting the amount of cross-state licensing barriers that are out there. 
there's so many great physicians who are willing and able to lend their expertise over a telemedicine connection. But if the state where the patient is located requires that a healthcare provider be located or at least licensed in that state, then that can be a barrier. And that's one of the things I'm urging Congress to look at. In addition, you pointed out the reimbursement rates. That's not something that we can focus on, but I've been urging some of the healthcare officials in this space to have a broader vision of how to reimburse these services. Because at the end of the day, this could be a huge cost saving. In addition to the better outcomes, it could be a huge cost saving for those who are involved in this space. And I think actually it's a really force multiplier in terms of saving emergency room visits and uh, and the like. And uh, we're hopeful that people will see the wisdom of that in the time to come. Well, those are wonderful stories, actually inspirational. I have to say, I've been at this now myself 25 years, and and so you can tell I'm a glass two-thirds full kind of guy if I've been at it that long. Uh, But what's striking to me about how this all fits together is that now we do have really good reimbursement uh, changing and coming for even those remote monitoring uh, use cases you mentioned or uh, quick consult between uh, two physicians or electronic visits between patients and doctors. It's it's all coming, again, thanks to our friends at CMS who've been very open to to uh, moving in this direction. So I, I think that this this whole, you know, the, the broadband is such an important piece, but it's it's a scaffolding and, and uh, things we're able to hang off of that scaffolding now are unlike any other time in history. So very, very exciting to, to see it all come together. Absolutely. Uh, just to say that the licensure is the last remaining uh, sad barrier to go, but it will too. One of the things I think once people become aware of it, they understand the power of, of telemedicine potential and they want to change some of those laws. So we're hopeful that that will be the case, especially in some of these healthcare facilities that are on borders. Uh, you know, I was at the uh, Cleveland Clinic not long ago, and uh, Dr. Shazam Hussein, who's the director of their cerebrovascular center, was talking about the fact that they have a mobile stroke unit that can stabilize and assess a stroke patient 38 minutes quicker than has typically been the case without these connected mobile vans. And when you consider that you lose something like a million to two million brain cells a minute, it would be a shame to have a cross-state licensing barrier stand in the way, for example, of someone in Youngstown, Ohio, being able to benefit from uh, someone in Pittsburgh being able to deliver that kind of mobile connected care. And so that's the kind of thing we hope will be an impetus for change for policymakers and regulators alike. Indeed, indeed. Well, uh, I'm going to switch topics uh, now and talk a little bit about the Connected Health Conference. So we are incredibly excited and honored that you're going to be speaking at the conference. And just just having you there signals uh, your interest and support of connected health and telemedicine as as well as again what what you stand for which is the communications infrastructure of our country um, are there any specific topics uh, at the conference that you're going to focus on more than than any other as you uh, uh, spend a few hours with us well this conference is clearly the premier event for health tech innovators I mean, there are thousands of people who are doing such good cutting-edge work, and to have them all in one place is just tremendous. And so from my perspective, I'm excited to hear from other thought leaders about how their companies are looking to the future of connected care, because that helps inform what we need to do here at the FCC today to create that platform, as you put it, for innovation, to think ahead of the curve, 10 years or even further ahead. And 
if I think if we create the right policies here, get the connectivity out there to all parts of the country, I think the sky is the limit. And I just look forward to hearing what some of these folks are working on and ways that we can help augment to that. One of the things in particular I'm interested in learning more about is uh, the role of artificial intelligence and machine learning in improving healthcare outcomes. It occurs to me that as we're starting to uh, treat many more patients in a connected environment, that is a lot of data that we are accumulating. And if we can analyze that data in a way that, of course, respects privacy and other types of uh, regulatory considerations, uh, I think we can draw a lot of lessons out of it and apply it to improve care even further. And so I'd be interested to hear from some of these specialists in AI and machine learning about how they see uh, the future, and in particular, in outside of the setting of the hospital. I think most people think of a healthcare facility like that or an urgent care facility. But I think, uh, especially as the population ages, as we have more Americans who have disabilities and are unable to get to a healthcare facility, we need to think about healthcare provided where people are. And AI and machine learning could be a way of doing that. If you marry uh, these uh, artificial intelligence techniques with connectivity, it could be the smartphone, actually, or sensors of some kind uh, that are the ultimate way of keeping in touch with patients and delivering care. And so that's one of the things I'll be looking at. And uh, I'm not an engineer uh, or a doctor by training, but uh, nonetheless, I'm really intellectually curious about uh, this area. And I can't wait to, uh, to get up to Boston and see what some of the best and brightest are up to. Well, that we we can't wait to have you. I, I would say your, your comments remind me of a, a quote. I often quote William Gibson, uh, who said, the, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. And I think when you look at the potential for artificial intelligence, what you're going to find as you listen and walk the floor and what have you is you'll see pockets of that future. It, it's, not, it's not all knit together in a nice quilt yet, but we're starting to see just how it's going to play out. And uh, if we manage it right, and, and I'm confident we can, and, and we introduce automation that doesn't forget that people need to be cared for. Uh, and, and again, our theme this year is balancing technology and the human element, which I think is an enormously important part of that future. I think we can do some amazing things. So thank you very much for spending time with uh, me today. And we look forward to seeing you at the conference. And uh, is there anything, I ask all my guests this, but is there anything that you wish I would have asked you that, uh, uh, that I didn't or any other parting thoughts for our listeners? I think we covered the waterfront pretty well. Uh, my only request of your listeners is stay in touch with the FCC. You can always find me on Twitter at FCC. I really am uh, serious about my willingness to learn about some of the things I don't know. And that's uh, a lot when it comes to uh, health tech innovations. And so if there's something we should be thinking about, definitely let us know. And if there's uh, anything that we can do to help broaden connectivity in your communities, keep us posted. Uh, this is something that I said is a personal passion in addition to a professional one. And working together, I hope that uh, we can bring the future to bear for all Americans so we can address uh, the imbalance that was noted in that Gibson quote. Well, I, I, I can't think of a better way to uh, cap off this wonderful conversation. And thanks so much for spending the time with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavita. A special thanks for me personally to Tony McMillan, our engineer, and Lynn Josephson, our senior marketing manager, for putting this series together. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more visit our website at partners.org forward slash 
Connected Health, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Connected Health. For more episodes of our series, search Partners Connected Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.